Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Thrive Church, a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. Hey everybody and welcome to Thrive Online this weekend. We're so glad that you joined us and we're so grateful that we can be together today. Welcome to part two of Fight because your blank is worth it. Well, today we're going to learn what that blank is. We're going to learn to fight because our families are worth it. Because our families are worth fighting for. You know, it doesn't matter what our family units look like. They are worth fighting for. And we do have to fight for our families. And we've got to fight for them to be great. Because there are all sorts of forces working against the family, particularly at this time. You know, the economic and moral, spiritual, cultural and social forces that want to destroy the family and they do want to destroy your family. But we're not going to dwell on those negative things today. We are much more interested in the positive about why and how we can fight for our families. There's a brilliant text in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 14. It's fascinating because it reminds us that our families do need to be fought for. It says this, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. No matter where your family unit finds itself today, or what your family unit looks like, it's worth fighting for your family, and it is not too late to do so. Your family can become fantastic. But the thing is, church, families don't become fantastic by accident. In fact, by accident, they end up average. We've got to fight for fantastic families. And so today we're going to start by looking at four characteristics of fantastic families. Four, literally four, things that fantastic families do. There are four things that embody four characteristics of fantastic families. We're going to look at what it is. They're just four, and today we're going to learn together. Ready to go, church? Well, there are four things that fantastic families do. The first thing is that fantastic families have fun. Now, when I think fun, I think board games, and in particular this game, Twister. If you've ever played this game, you'll realize that it's not for the old. By old, I mean over 40. When I, when I play this game, I realize this, and I realize I'm over 40. The next day, my arms and legs were sore in places I didn't know existed. But the point is, our kids love to play this with Pastor Ken and I, and it's a, a fantastic, fun game to play. Fantastic families learn how to have fun, and you've got to carve out the time to have fun. You know, the scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes 8 verse 15, Solomon writes, he says, So I recommend having fun. Because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way, they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. This season has been a season of hard work. We need to have fun. I think in 2020, with what the world's going through right now, fun might just be the most underrated thing around. You know, families are not supposed to be boot camps where the parents are drill sergeants. And they're not companies or corporations where the parents are CEOs. And you know as well as I do that as parents, sometimes it can feel like we are drill sergeants. Sometimes we do feel like CEOs at home at times. 
Candace and I have young kids. We live in this world. Caleb is our seven-year-old son. He loves to trash the lounge with his Lego. Ensuring a proper cleanup before bedtime can make me into a drill sergeant. The parents with young kids, you guys will be able to relate. But I don't think that's supposed to be our primary role. I mean, there might be moments to be drill sergeants. Not all the time, though. The reason families don't play is because we're too busy or too tired or too serious or too negative or too worn out. So what this means is that we do need to plan some fun. Some fun can, however, be spontaneous. The other day I started dancing in the kitchen when I saw we were having stew for dinner. For some reason I shouted, I have no idea why, I just shouted, we're having stew. I thought Caleb was going to combust, he laughed so hard. Dad, why did you dance like that? Why did you make a song like that, he says to me. You know, fun needs to be spontaneous, but of course some fun might actually need to be planned. I'm planning a midnight feast sometime in the near future where we're going to wake our kids up at midnight and have a midnight feast in the lounge. My wife doesn't know about it yet. My mom used to plan fun. If my cousins were coming around to play, my mom would take us on joy rides. The joy ride would involve her driving her yellow opal cadet across a field. There was no road, no track, just the field and the cadet and us and our cousins bouncing on the back seat, thinking this was the best thing ever. Sometimes our heads would hit the ceiling, we'd bounce so hard. The fun is what kids remember. It's what I remember from my childhood. They say people don't remember what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. Psalm 127 verse 3 reminds us that children are a gift from God. And yes, sometimes we may feel like we want to exchange the gift or re-gift them. However, our kids are meant to be enjoyed. They're gifts. You know, a recent survey of kids was done where they asked what their favorite things to do with their family were. The number one answer, guess what it was? Board games. Not video games. See, video games are one-on-one. But board games, because there's that interaction with people. Interesting that kids chose board games. Choice number two, any guesses? Well, it was to go to a park together. Of course, the common denominator here between both of those choices is time with the parents. Not gifts. They want us, our attention. We all know love is spelled T-I-M-E. The scripture tells us to enjoy every day because we don't know what the future holds. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 7 reminds us of this. It says, sunshine is sweet. It's good to see the light of day. In other words, enjoy the sunshine of today because you don't know what the future holds. Years ago, as a family, we used to go to this awesome little family pizza place in Bononi Town called the Rendezvous. Oh man, the Rendezvous made the best calzone in town. And it was owned by an old Italian couple, the nicest nonna and papa you could ever meet. They had worked hard, they had built a business, and they were planning to hand it over to their kids and retire down to the coast. Well, eventually that day came, the retirement day came, and they handed over the restaurant to their kids. They hopped in their car, very excited, and headed to their retirement village at the sea. But on their way to the coast, right in the middle of the crew, they had a car accident. And tragically, they passed away. They never got to enjoy their retirement. We've got to enjoy life now. We never know how much time is left. The second characteristic of fantastic families is that they encourage growth. To help us remember growth, I've got my watering can. I love my watering can because the watering can signifies growth. The watering can 
tells us, reminds us that what is contained in here fosters growth. What, what is held in a watering can is water, and the water is there to help foster and encourage growth in family members. Fantastic families are like watering cans, always watering, fostering growth and learning and development. You know, Jesus grew, and he grew in Luke 2.52. It tells us how he grew. It says, as Jesus grew, so did his wisdom and maturity, and the favor of men increased upon his life, for he was loved greatly by God. Jesus grew in wisdom, intellectually and mentally. He grew in maturity, physically. He grew in favor with men, socially. And he was greatly loved by God, spiritually. Jesus grew. You know, in average families, everyone stays the same and no one grows. But in fantastic families, people are growing in those areas. They're growing physically, spiritually, intellectually, socially. You know, there are some things that we can only learn in our families. Did you know that? There's some things that only the family can really teach you. Today, quickly, I want to offer you five things that we must learn in our families. If we don't learn them in our families, life will be tough. Most of our problems as an adult can actually come from the fact that we didn't learn them as children in our families. First thing we must learn is what to do with our feelings. We need to learn to recognize them, identify them, name them, own up to them, and learn to express them healthily. Then, of course, we've got to learn how to deal with how we feel. When we don't learn these, we can remain as an emotional cripple until we do learn to do so. Many reasons for divorce simply boil down to spouses not knowing how to deal with how they feel. Turn to your spouse right now, tell them, learn to deal with how you feel. The second thing we need to learn in our families is how to handle conflict. Rick Warren says that people become one of two things when in a conflict situation. He says we either become skunks or turtles. Skunks stink up the place. Everyone knows they're dealing with conflict because the air around them stinks of it. If you're watching with your spouse right now, do not look at them in this moment. Stay straight ahead. Keep your eyes fixed in front of you. <laughs> Others of us become turtles. What happens is we go into our shell. Here's the thing. Skunks marry turtles. Skunks marry turtles. Do not ask your spouse if she's a skunk or a turtle. I don't recommend it. Here's the thing, though, guys. Neither of these is the more godly approach. They are both ineffective ways of dealing with conflict. In my experience, the only way to really sustainably handle conflict is to learn to get better at conversation. Third thing we must learn in our families is how to handle loss. We know there will be lots of loss in life. None of us wins all the time. We all go through seasons of loss. And we simply have to learn what to do and how to grieve the loss that hits us. One of the ways we can do this in our families is not to protect our children from failure. Our kids have to learn to realize that they can't be number one all the time. They have to learn that failure won't kill them and it won't be the end of their life. You know, they often say that for sports teams, great sports teams, it's often better for them to learn to lose early in the season so that they can come to terms with the loss, rectify what needs to be fixed, and move forward stronger. 
Well, guess what? It's the same with all of us, and it's the same with our kids. Sometimes it's good to learn to lose early in life so we can rectify and move ahead stronger. One of the best things we can do in our families is to teach them that life is like a game of snakes and ladders. We love playing snakes and ladders. Some seasons it feels like everything's going up, like you're heading up the ladder, you're winning. At other times you hit the snakes and you take 10 steps back. That is the way life works. It is at times like a game of snakes and ladders. Proverbs 24 verse 16 reminds us of this. It says, for the lovers of God may suffer adversity and stumble seven times, but they will continue to rise over and over again. There's both stumbling and rising. There's both snakes and ladders. The fourth thing that we have to learn in our families is what values actually matter most. We have to learn what's important and what's not. Our culture is teaching us to value the wrong things. It teaches us, for example, that image is everything. Teaches us that the more money you have, the more important you are, the more successful you are, the more fulfilled you'll be. Our culture teaches us, for example, that everything's about sex. It teaches us that the more you can get praise, the more valuable you are, the more self-worth you have. Our culture places before us constantly the three basic temptations in life. Scripture describes it as the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Very simply, in East Rand English, what I feel, what I do, and what I get. The three lusts in life, what I feel, what I do, what I get. We could say it like this, sex, salary, status. You know, Jesus, Moses, Adam, they all went through it, and we do too. We all face the same things. So vital that in our families we recognize false values. That anytime a TV advert comes on or something appears in the news or whenever the value comes your way that, it, that you know is false, that we point it out and we teach our families that it's false. Like when L'Oreal says you're worth it. Well, we take a moment and say, well, you are worth a lot more than makeup. That your worth is in fact not related to your looks. We've got to refute the false culture. The fifth thing that we must learn in our families is good habits and good manners. You know, they say manners make the man, but it's not simply manners, it's good habits. It's to embrace moderation and not excess. It's to eat healthily and to enjoy a treat every now and then, to exercise, to drink water, to eat together, to put away technology for a time in your home, to listen, to let others talk and to have quiet space and quiet time each day. These things are taught. They're not natural to us. The question then becomes, well, how do we teach these kinds of things? Two ways. Firstly, through example. You know, in John 13, Jesus washed feet as an example. Our families don't want to hear us talk about things only. They want to see it in our lives. Second way we teach it is through conversation, through critical conversations. Not simply conversations about schedule or eating or homework, critical, important conversations. Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 says to talk about the things of God at home, when you're out for a walk at bed, first thing in the morning, late at night. These are the teachable moments for our families. Most families don't do this, and that's why they're not awesome. That's why they're not fantastic. If you don't do this, you'll never have a fantastic family. Church, the third characteristic of fantastic families is that they are a place of protection. 
that they are a place of protection. I've got here my beautiful Thrive umbrella, because why would you want any other umbrella except a Thrive umbrella? Uh, the point of the umbrella is that families and fantastic families are supposed to be, that they are places of protection, of shelter for every family member in the unit. The point is that a family is supposed to be an umbrella against the, the rains and against the storms and against the tough things that come our way. Fantastic families are places of protection. Why this is so important is because Jesus reminds us in Matthew 5 verse 45, he says that he, being God, gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Here's the point. It rains on both the good and the bad. If things are not going well in your life, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are doing something wrong. That's an incorrect theology. By the same token, if things are going brilliantly, it doesn't mean that you're doing everything right. Everyone experiences tough things, illnesses, conflict, tough spaces. It rains on the good and the bad. Those who are trying to do the right thing and those who could not care less, we all experience the same thing. And because of that, we need our families to be an umbrella. We need them to be places of protection. Protection against a world that throws lots of different things at us. Fantastic families protect each other. You need support. I need support. We all need support. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 tells us that two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. We can each go through storms, and as we do so, we help and protect each other. Church, the fourth characteristic of fantastic families is that they care about others. Got you a world globe. Remember world globes? We don't see, see them that often these days, but the, the world globe teaches us, reminds us, shows us that there's an entire world out there. The point of me showing this to you is that fantastic families think about others. They think about the world. They think about the fact that they are part of the world, that we are as a family one small part in a much bigger story. There's a whole world out there that we need to care about. Fantastic families serve God by serving others. One of the best things we can do is to teach our kids that it's not all about them. Why don't you take them for a drive through some impoverished areas in our community? Let them see and experience poverty. Teach them to be thankful and teach them that we are taught by Jesus to care for the poor, to care for the widows and to care for the orphans. The best thing we can do is to teach them. You are not the center of the universe to teach them that, to teach them that they were shaped to serve God and to serve others. Hebrews 10, 24 tells us, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's what a family's got to do. Fantastic families need to teach family members that the world doesn't revolve around them. Church, I hope that you and your family are being helped by this message today. Let's recap quickly, shall we? The four characteristics of fantastic families. Firstly, fantastic families build fun into their lives. Secondly, there are environments where growth and development can take place, where those important conversations happen. 
Thirdly, fantastic families are umbrellas that offer us shelter from the storms of life. Fourthly, fantastic families teach us to look beyond ourselves and to serve God by serving others. Fantastic families are worth fighting for. Pastor Candice and so many ladies that I know loves Le Creuset crockery. Le Creuset is French for the crucible. So it's crockery that's placed under immense heat that produces something beautiful and valuable. It's expensive, it costs, but it's valuable because it's formed under intense heat and pressure. You know, when we fight for our families, it feels like it's hot at times and we're under pressure, like we're in that crucible, but be assured that when we keep fighting and keep enduring, what comes out is a family that's beautiful and of great, great value. Fantastic families are worth fighting for. But you know, church, fantastic families have one thing, in my experience, one thing at their core, and that is that Jesus is at the center of that family. Jesus makes all the difference to families, and Jesus is what makes our families fantastic. The reason for that is Jesus turns us into fantastic people. The moment we make a decision to follow him, the moment we make a decision to give our lives to him, he starts to work in our lives. As we read scripture, as we learn about his life, as we learn how it was that he treats people, the Holy Spirit starts to change us, starts to make us like Jesus. At Thrive, we have language that we use that we're always moving towards Jesus. It means we're always learning to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Can you imagine your family with Jesus at the center? Can you imagine what your family would look like if everybody was moving towards Jesus, learning to be with him, spending time with him, becoming like him, and doing what he did? Well, for so many of our families that thrive, that is the case. Maybe you're watching today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. I want to invite you into the best decision you could ever make with your life. The decision to follow Jesus is the most life-altering decision that you could ever make, and it's the most important decision you could ever make for your family. And in just a moment, I'd love the great privilege of praying for you. And as I pray for you, if you're making that decision, and as I pray, you're processing that decision, it will be my great privilege to lead you in a prayer today. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your love and for your grace and for your goodness. Thank you so much that you're always calling us. Thank you that you desire above all a friendship with us. Thank you, Father, that you sent Jesus, that he could live a perfect, sinless life here on earth, die a death in my place, a sacrificial death, take what was due to me upon his own shoulders. Thank you for that. Thank you for your selflessness. And today in this moment, I realize that I actually need to make a decision to follow you, God. I need to make a decision to invite you, Jesus, into my life. And today in this moment, I want to do that. I'm, I'm doing that in this moment. And I'm asking, Father God, would you, would you come into my life at this moment? Jesus, I'm making a decision to follow you. And as I do so, I thank you that I can ask you to forgive me for every area where I've blown it, where I've gone my own way. And I want to ask you in this moment to come and cleanse me, to forgive me. And I want to ask you in this moment to come and to begin to write a new story. 
in this prayer and in this time, I realize as I open my life to you, Holy Spirit, that you're going to come into my life, that the Spirit of God is actually going to come into my life and begin to write a new story. So in this moment, Jesus, I make a decision to follow you and then to invite you into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today, either for the first time, or maybe life has thrown you curveballs and you've been heading away from God, but today was a day where you came back to Him, we want to warmly congratulate you. We want to let you know people all across Thrive Church, all over the East Strand area, whether it be Boxburg, Benoni, Edenville, Germiston, Bedford View, Brackpan, Springs, wherever, we are celebrating behind screens with you right now. And we'd love to celebrate more meaningfully with you. And we'd like to ask you to do one thing, one simple thing, and that is to let us know that you made that decision today, that you prayed that prayer today for the first time or maybe a time of recommitment. The way you could do that is by simply letting us know by WhatsApping the words, follow Jesus to the number on the screen right now. Or if you're watching on our church online platform, click the raise hand in the bottom right-hand side of the screen. Just click the raise hand and one of our team would love to send you something very simple, very practical to get you started on your faith journey. Hey Thrive, we're imagining an entire church filled with fantastic families where even during this COVID season, lockdown season, families are moving towards Jesus, becoming stronger, becoming more Christ-centered, becoming fantastic families. Can I leave you with this word of encouragement? It is worth it. Your family can become more fantastic. Your family can move towards Jesus. Each one in your family, have a brilliant, brilliant week and may grace and peace be yours. We hope you have been blessed and helped by this message. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.thrivechurch.co.za.